1: The Gist is sponsored by Volvo. Experience the wonder of summer. Have a month's payment on Volvo and spend your summer doing the things that matter to you. Plus, get up to five years full coverage, including wear and tear. Go to volvocars.com slash US.
0: The following podcast contains explicit language. Mm. It's Friday, June 12th, 2015 from Slate It's The Gist, I'm Mike Pesca, sitting here in a Chicago hotel room getting ready to fly to uh, LA to do real time with Bill Maher. Just got done hosting Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. So the Bill Maher thing, Ed Bagley's is going to be there, and the presence of Ed Bagley and those, by the way, never actually rode a recumbent bike, I've done a lot of ops research on it, but th- guys like him make me question that quote that Hillary Clinton says a lot and attributes to Gandhi, but I think it's just, you know, generally from the book of the self-serving, where it says, uh, first they mock you, then they fight you, then you win. And I think that's sometimes true, except when it comes to environmentalists, right? It's like, first they mock you, then they fight you you then everything you were saying all along gets proven correct but they still mock you a little i don't know why that is now speaking of celebrities even a celebrity bigger than mr bagley uh, i was thinking of this quote grill marcus said it about elvis he was uh, talking about quote the necessity existing in every culture to produce a perfect all-inclusive metaphor for itself hmm ponder that. Think who represents that now in 2015. And that's who we talked to on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes? Uh
2: Uh-huh, honey.
0: Our guest was Kim Kardashian. And she was very nice. She was lovely. She played our game and said funny things. I just think... You know, when, when we have guilty pleasures in food, it's a guilty pleasure. Or music, it's Bob Seger. You know, it's a guilty pleasure. But I don't know, in celebrity, may a lot of people think that who you choose to be fascinated with is more than a guilty pleasure. It's a referendum on the self. I don't know about that. I think she has she either has no sense of self or such a greater sense of self, such a meta sense of self that none of the rest of us know what's going on. And I think with regular people, sometimes you could say to them, Stacy, nobody cares. But you can't say that to Kim Kardashian. It is just not true in any sense. Yeah, kind of everyone cares. She has created her own atmosphere. Well, today on The Gist, I want to give you a sense of our atmosphere if you're checking us out for the first time. Maybe you uh, saw me in one of these other endeavors today on the show we're going to have a post prudence impact statement the uh, very popular slate advice columnist dear prudy gets in touch with someone who wrote her a letter and uh, what she does is what advice columnists do she gives advice but on our show we call the person up and see how the advice landed we're also going to do a segment on the history of monopoly and in the spiel This was around the time where they were deciding on who to vote into the toy museum. But now, do not pass go, do not collect
2: $200.
0: So Monopoly, the board game Monopoly, it's a lot like middle school. It takes a long time. They tell you you're gonna learn something. They tell you it's gonna be fun. And none of that's really true, but afterwards you get nostalgic for it. A new book by Mary Pilon is called The Monopolist. It does not have that insight. But what it is, is I'm going to say the authoritative history of monopoly. Just like baseball researchers try to figure out, is the Doubleday myth true? who invented baseball. Monopoly is a really similar tortured history that tells us a lot about the board game in America itself. Mary is here. Hello. Thanks for coming in.
3: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So let's start with the official history, the Parker Brothers history, that they'd like us to believe. What is it?
3: So the story for a long, long time was that this guy, Charles Darrow, uh, during the Great Depression, he's financially you know, hit hard times. Parker Brothers has two as a company. He goes into his basement and he innovates. And he creates this game. He puts the Atlantic City properties on as an homage to vacationing during better times. He sells the game to Parker Brothers and it becomes this blockbuster. And he and the firm are saved from destruction.
0: But the problem with that isn't so much that he stole the idea from someone else. And he's kind of stole artwork. And he wasn't the one who someone had to teach him to play Monopoly. The problem is it was more a folklore type thing. It was more a game that, like, trying to patent the game gin.
3: Right. It had a whole life before that, at least 30 years of life. So the game started with this woman, Lizzie McGee. She gets a patent for her game called The Landlord's Game in 1904. And from there, it it is played by, like, a who's who of left-wing America. It's played at Harvard. It's played at Columbia. It's played at Wharton. And actually, even since, um, I've I've written a few articles about this for the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times in the last few years, and I still hear from people who say, oh, I have a game board from the 20s. So it seems indisputable that this game had a whole life as a folk game the long before Parker game. Brothers.
0: Are we sure that Lizzie invented the landlord game? Well,
3: now I'm really paranoid. I mean, she has the 1904 patent, which but is- But Darrow
0: has the patent on Monopoly, or Parker Brothers The
3: does. 1935 yeah, patent, yeah. correct. So what so, do patents
0: mean is the so question.
3: So, you know, I've, I've asked a lot of patent lawyers about it. So 1904 seems like the furthest back that we can zoom. You know, board games in the United States really took off in the 1800s with Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers. So There were other games or other games that were similar-ish, but what's interesting about landlords and is that for a long time leading up to that people thought oh financially themed board games they're too complicated they're too wonky they're too weird people aren't going to play them so it did kind of defy some of those conventions
0: and some of those games Milton Bradley's original life was really dark the square for you commit suicide right, right. They were, does pop out at you
3: right the original game of life is really depressing it's really really depressing but then you think but it
0: reflected the times it
3: reflected the times yeah. and I spent a lot of time thinking about these various time periods that the book took place in especially with Lizzie story, like what does it mean to be a woman patenting something in 1904? And with Milton Bradley um, and Jill Lepore of The New Yorker has a great book called The Mansion of Happiness, which talks about that game and just this idea that death pervaded everyday culture in a way that it doesn't now because people like they just died. Although it was so depressing. And yeah. so I had kind of I think as much as we get nostalgic about the past, I had many moments reporting this book where I thought I'm actually pretty great living in 2015. Know?
0: Yeah. yeah, like child, like just the number of children that died in infancy. I think that every member of Lincoln's cabinet had a child that died in infancy.
3: I mean, it's horrible. Even the Parkers had this tragedy. You know, George Parker, his two sons died in these tragic ways. So I thought those details were important to show not just like who these people were, because I think often we read things, they seem very textbooky and they don't feel like real people. But also like it was a different time in so many ways.
0: So the Landlord game, have you played it?
3: Yes. Does it play Um, well?
0: Because I'm going to say Monopoly doesn't, but we could get into that. You
3: know what's tricky is I think it's hard to play any kind of Monopoly ish games in 2015, yeah. because all of us have just been so hardwired yeah. to play Monopoly. Yeah. So I think if you were pulling it out of the box in, you know, 1910, different thing than, you know, playing it now when the ratio of Landlord's games I played to Monopoly games is like, you know, yeah. It's one like to million.
0: listening to maybe a Howling Wolf record or something and say, wait, this is the Rolling <laughs> Stones. It's just like the later thing was mapped onto you. But Right, right, yeah. right. So give us some sketches of her story, her beliefs, why she constructed the game based on her single tax theories and then, you know, who should be writing this ad that caused the (laughs) sensation?
3: So she, I had to kind of work backwards because I knew because of the lawsuit involving anti-monopoly that she had a claim to this patent, but I just want to know who this woman was. And her game clearly has Political message, and there's this great irony, right, that she's this left-wing woman creating a game as a teaching tool to kind of rail against the monopolists of her time, and in fact, it has become today the symbol of corporate greed and something that's the total opposite. So she had a political background. Her father was this guy James McGee, who wasn't just a um, influential newspaper owner, but he had traveled with Abraham Lincoln during the Lincoln Douglas debates and was very involved in kind of the earlier days of the Republican Party. So once I found out who her father was, the idea idea that she would have had a champion somebody who was very ahead of his time in terms of thinking of his daughter as a as a writer as a creator as a political mind that clicked in. And so part of that is she was a very outspoken feminist. Yeah. This is before women could vote. So she does this thing where she takes out an ad and puts herself up for auction to the highest bid. And it was very much a protest. It was very tongue-in-cheek, but I think there was also a a serious message there where she's disputing how women are treated and how they're paid. And this stunt creates headlines across the country. And, you know, clip-searching, that was really fun because you saw how people reacted to her. And some people thought it was very funny. Some people thought it was very strange. She got all these crazy responses. Whether her actual message about income, you know, how women were treated, was carried, you know, was maybe up for debate. But I thought it was pretty gutsy for somebody at that
0: time to be doing that. So why didn't the Parker Brothers know that this was in the public domain? Because it doesn't seem just to have been a local Atlantic City where Darrow was from, where the streets are named. It seems to be a mass phenomenon. There were a lot of games a lot like this. Do you think the Parker Brothers did know and just wanted to patent something that actually shouldn't have been allowed to be patented?
3: Well, that's where it gets very controversial, right? So they do acquire Lizzie McGee. She renewed her patent in 1924. Um, and she was still alive in the 30s so they acquire her patent and there were a lot of other people who also tried selling the game so this guy Dan Lehman sells a game called Finance Parker Brothers acquires that their rival Milton Bradley has a game called Easy Money they get this I mean, the Board of
0: Finance is like (laughs) 60% monopoly. Yeah,
3: Yeah. I mean, they all, when you see them all side by side, they look very similar. There was a gentleman named Rudy Copeland in Texas who made a game called Inflation. So people were making these games and Parker Brothers acquired a lot of them. But one of the key parts of the story that I think is important to remember is that at the time when this was happening, nobody knew they were sitting on Monopoly. Nobody knew they were sitting on a hit, which is very unusual in the toy and game industry, let alone one that we would be talking about all this time later. So when they just kind of went around and acquired these games, you know, I think they were just trying to, you know, cover their bases. Yeah. But it wasn't, I mean, nobody, including, you know, Dan Lehman or any of these early game makers had any idea that it was going to become this massive cash cow.
0: Mary Pollan is the author of The Monopolist's Obsession, Fury, and the Scandal Behind the World's Favorite Board Game. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Volvo. It's time to experience the wonder of summer. Leave early, get close, wander more, stargaze, do it all, have a month's payment on Volvo, and spend your summer doing the things that matter to you. Plus, get up to five years' full coverage, including wear and tear, the wonder of summer event from Volvo. Go to volvocars.com slash U.S. or test drive a Volvo at your local dealer. So one of the, nah, I'll say it, the most popular feature on Slate is Dear Prudy. She's a columnist. She delves into all the Michigas of human experience. And with a gimlet eye, she tells people what needs to be done, what they need to hear. Emily Yaffe is Dear Prudence, and she joins us from time to time to do a post-Prudence impact statement. Hello, Emily. Hi, Mike. Hi. So what topic, what person are we going to talk to today who you once gave advice to?
1: We're talking to a woman who signed herself, the shot is safe, and she was complaining that she has lost a dear friend to the anti-vaccination movement. She says this Friend uh, has always been an intelligent, delightful person who has now become obsessed uh, with vaccines, how they're going to kill all of us. When they're not killing all of us, it's going to be processed foods. And she says, even when she sees her friend and tries to move the conversation away, it inevitably comes back. So she wrote asking, Do I give up my
0: friend? Do I say something? What do I do? I think there's a conundrum. It's not just that the friend is boring, or maybe it is. Maybe the friend is boring in a one-track mind and a one-note record, but also the friend is wrong and dangerous to your kids in a way. Well, that's the problem with this. It's one
1: thing if you say, I am going to thresh all my own wheat and bake my own bread. It's another if your kids and their increasing number of kids are going to school unvaccinated because we lose herd immunity, and so these people are dangerous to the public health.
0: Right, right. If they were doing something that was actively harmful, you know, if she sent her kids armed to public school, maybe you wouldn't want to be friends with her. It's not that different. Okay, it's a little different, but it's similar to this, uh, given the question of herd immunity.
1: So I said to her, you have to speak up. Not, not only do you have to speak up, the, to me there was something concerning about feeling I've lost someone, someone has become obsessed, she now has a monomania, and that's an indication possibly of mental ill health, although I understand on this subject, a lot of people share it. I said, I thought she should just say to her friend, I would agree to disagree with you, but I can't even do that, you won't talk about anything else. And I thought that she should maybe talk to the husband or someone else close to her and say, you know, maybe she wants needs to see a doctor if, in fact, she's kind of spiraling into obsession, although I'm sure this woman would think the doctor was part of the conspiracy.
0: Right. Okay, so that's good advice. Go to people who can be a touchstone, who don't share her monomania, who could maybe even diagnose it to the friend, the person who wrote to you for advice, who can say, yeah, she's really gone too far, and maybe, you know, provide her with uh, a way back to reality. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's call her. Hello? Hello, this is Mike and Emily, and we're trying to reach someone who calls herself The Shot Is Safe. Is that person you? Uh, yeah. Uh, Me? <laughs> all right, how are you? I'm Mike, and say hi, Emily. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so, Emily, why don't you take the inquiry from here?
1: Okay, Shot, uh, you laid out this problem. You've essentially lost a good friend to a monomania about vaccines. What did you do, and what's happened?
2: Okay, so uh, basically, I kind of scrunched out on her husband's Facebook. And he's totally complicit. He's just as into it as she is. Honestly, I just kind of let it go. Huh. Kind of stopped talking to her. We stopped texting, which, you know, it's hard. We've been friends for a long time. But oddly enough, a month or so ago, she reached out to me. It was like, hey, happy birthday. How's it going? So it's been really superficial.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> you know, at least I have that. I can talk about the weather.
0: What a great basis for a friendship, right?
1: At least she doesn't bring up climate change, okay? so. <laughs> oh, no, that's totally real, and it is the government's fault. <laughs> like, legitimately,
2: it's the government's fault.
0: You you haven't even had a let's agree to disagree conversation. You just don't talk about anything of substance with this friend.
2: Well, we kind of had a point where it was let's agree to disagree, and that's kind of what kicked off our not really talking because before you answered my question, I made a comment on something she posted, and it turned on Facebook, and it turned into basically, and then I quote, that I I've never done anything good for anyone. And wow. That, was, yeah, I was like, um, you know what polio looks like?
1: No, that's why. Yeah, or smallpox. Thank you. Great. Right? Shot, how long had you been friends with this woman, and had she always had a, an obsessional nature? We've been friends for what, nine years now, uh-huh. and she's
2: always been very crunchy and kind of got me into it a little bit. And I think, I mean, what set her off so bad was um, the house she was living in had a really bad mold infestation to the point where, I mean, they had to throw away everything they owned.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I and mean, in her efforts to figure out what was going on, because it took them a while to figure that out. You let them be something, and now you have cancer when really you have a
0: headache. And Emily put forth the idea that maybe she has a a serious mental illness, maybe she has a monomania, and that could be the case. Uh, But another interpretation would be that there's so much, like when you have a mold infestation or something like that, there's so much uncertainty and anxiety. It's just a way to order the universe to blame everything on Franken food or plastic bottles or there's, you know, a next step to blame everything on vaccines, and maybe that's going on.
2: Yeah, kind of hard to be around, but I'm always really paranoid if I ever have to see her, like I'm terrified of her child.
1: <laughs> we were talking about this, that these kids are a public health menace, and that's oh, God, yeah. really sad. And he's super sweet, too, but I just like,
2: his birthday is coming up, and I know I'm going to get an invite, and I'm, I don't want to go in a hazmat suit, because I think that might be... <laughs>
1: A well, you don't want to get as monomaniacal as she is. But you know what? This is the sad thing about friendships. Sometimes they end. People just go different ways. I was hopeful that maybe someone else in her life, a husband, could say, Honey, we got to reel it back. But when you're in a folly a deux, the two of them are encouraging each other. It sounds like this relationship is really a lost cause. It's always too bad, though. Of course. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, we can't vaccinate you from a broken heart shot is safe, but we thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much. Okay. I'm such a ridiculously huge fan. It's almost embarrassing.
0: Me oh, too, no, right? That's no, no, good. As much.
1: That's a good thing.
0: <laughs> There's a vaccine for that, don't you worry. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yes. Bye. Thank Bye.
1: You. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Sometimes you lose them through no fault of your own, Emily.
1: This woman did everything. Let's change the subject. Let's talk about something else. There is nothing else. So what do you do? Sometimes you just move on from people in your life.
0: Emily Yaffe is the author of the Dear Prudence column at Slate.com. And this has been a post-Prudy Impact Statement. Thank you, Emily. Thanks. And we're back 43 minutes after the hour. We are talking about this vote, this Hall of Fame vote, the National Toy Hall of Fame. Been talking about it all show. And let me tell you, folks, I haven't gotten to this yet. The idea that somehow... Pots and pans are a legitimate contender. Pots and pans. I mean, I understand the ball is in the hall. I understand the blanket is in the hall. You can't undo past miscarriages of justice. It was a different era. What we know now about why the blanket got in the hall. But pots and pans, that just baffles the mind. All right, let's go through some of these contenders. To me, Rubik's Cube... First ballot, no-brainer. The cube is in the hall. Then you got Slip and Slide. I also think this gets in. Granted, not all the writers were on the friendliest terms with Slip and Slide back in Slip and Slide's playing days. Still, I think Slip and Slide makes it an easy. But remember what the criteria are for the voters. 1. Icon status. 2. Longevity. 3. Discovery. The toy fosters learning. Creativity or discovery through play. and 4. Innovation. The toy profoundly changed play or toy design. And to me, this is why I do not think, controversial here, I do not think My Little Pony makes the haul. To me, My Little Pony is a compiler. I am a harsh grader, I will say this, I'm a harsh grader. Andrea, can we get the stats on My Little Pony? Can we get the book on that so we could look up My Little Pony stats? All of this
1: is online, Mike.
0: Can you tell me, when did My Little Pony have her best years?
1: I'll just go to wikipedia.com. The TV series ran from 1986 to 1987, and they discontinued the line in the U.S. in 1992. And then it exploded in popularity again in 2010.
0: All right. Thanks for that. I get it. I get it. Applejack, Flutterfly, Pinkie Pie, a murderer's row of ponies. But a couple thoughts here. There were a whole lot of years in there that My Little Pony did nothing, whether it was injury or contract status, whatever, and there was a lot of protection in the Hasbro lineup. To me, My Little Pony is a compiler. Did My Little Pony ever have an MVP season? Did My Little Pony put together a Cabbage Patch-like season? No, I keep My Little Pony out. Remember, discovery, innovation, remember. Also, there is no character clause for the Hall of Fame. This is not why Gumby has been excluded. So that is another important point as we go through this list contenders. Let's go to the phone. Chris from Covington. Chris, you're on the toy.
2: Yeah, hey Mike, I just wanted to call in and say that this year Mr. Potato Head has got to get in the hall. Yeah, Mr.
0: Potato Head is already in the hall, Chris. Yeah,
2: well I just think that he teaches you the fundamentals. You know, you only got a set number of holes, a set number of body parts to put in. There aren't that many choices. It kind of limits your play, but I think it'll really construct way. Chris, you're
0: not listening to me. Mr. Potato Head is in the hall. He's already Hawkins back to a more agricultural time in America, a classic He's in the hall, Chris. Thank you for the call Folks, if they have a Toy Hall of Fame, you can't have a Toy Hall of Fame without a Mr. Potato Head being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if you think they have a Toy Hall of Fame without a Mr. Potato Head, I'm sorry, you're lost. You're just lost. All right, let's go now to John from Methuen. John, what's up?
2: Mike, uh, first time, long time, uh, look, uh, Little Green Army Men. I think they gotta be, uh, They got to be in there.
0: All right, thanks for the call, John. Yeah. To me, Little Green Army Men, I mean, do you even think of them as a toy without Toy Story, without the movie's Toy Story? They were just a thing that was there. They were just like the easiest shape for the Chinese to make. And I know the movie made them seem fun, but they didn't move, no innovation, no discovery, just not there. I'm against Little Green Army Men. All right, next call, Emmett from the Upper East Side. Emmett, you're on the air. Hi Mike, what's a long time? Don't cut me off, Mike. I like turtles. Yeah, okay, and thanks for the call, Emmett. So all right, teenage mutant ninja turtles, ready? Not a toy. Not a toy. A cartoon, a TV show made the toy out of the TV show. That's the opposite. I don't even like My Little Pony, but My Little Pony is a toy. Now, you're going to tell me that the Star Wars figures were obviously a movie before they were a toy, but they're such a good toy. To me, the VORP, the value-over-replacement playthings of The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is very low. You got Donatello, you got Michelangelo, you got Raphael, you got Leonardo. Let's put them up against the Erector set, right? Put them up against Marbles. I mean, these are two Hall of Famers already. I mean, Marbles. You can't say Marbles in the same breath as you say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right, let's say this: You're going over your friend's house and you want to play marbles, and you hear he doesn't have marbles. Well, your day is ruined. But if you want to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the next question is: All right, you got? Got Star Wars figures? You got a three CPO? I'm fine, all right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, to me, they're just replacement-level action figures. Okay, let's get one more phone call in here. Let's squeeze in uh, Doris from Weehawken. Hello, dear. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air.
2: Yes, yeah. I'd like to bring up uh, Mrs. Potato Head.
0: Oh, you didn't hear me. We have discussed this. Mr. Potato Head is in the Hall of no, Fame. I already no, said no, this. No, with, uh, no, no, no. You're not call. hearing
2: me. Mrs. Potato Head.
0: Oh, Mrs. Potato Head. Interesting. Yes. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. If uh, if Raggedy Andy can get voted in five years after Raggedy Ann, uh, then Mrs. Potato Head should be able to. That's <laughs> The cardboard true. That box happened. is in the Hall Well, okay, okay. Site. Thank
0: you. Thank. We gotta cut you off there. You can't lo- use that language, dear. I will. T- I will tell you, folks. Cardboard box is in the Hall. Hall of Fame. I You know, they have that Young Timers Committee. They got a bunch of two-year-olds. They crawled in the box. They voted for it. This was before they revised the voting procedures. I get it. But Mr. Mrs. Potato, I haven't thought of this yet. No, I don't like it. To me, Mrs. Potato Head is just a Mr. Potato Head with a purse, maybe a different hat. It's not its own toy. It's as if there were Lincoln Logs and Mary Todd Lincoln Logs. What, we gotta make a Hall of Fame for the Pink Legos, you know what I'm saying? So rounding out the list, here are the other ones we haven't talked about. Paper airplane operation, not this year. I don't think with Obamacare, it's a controversial choice. Uh, you know, who I think is on the bubble this year? Bubbles. Yeah, bubbles is on the ballot. I think bubbles is a bubble candidate. Because what are you gonna do if you vote bubbles? Next you gotta vote in a water sprinkler, right? You gotta vote in sunshine and a lawn. This is the problem with natural phenomenon. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk to last year's inductee, Rubber Duck. Rubber Duck is going to join us here top of the hour. And uh, Jay Glazer, Fox, back after this. That's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is a proponent of the duck face. Just managing producer Joel Meyer endorses hot dog legs. Just executive producer Andy Bowers is a proponent of the echinacea waggle. Try it on a selfie, it works. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash slategist or on Twitter at slategist. The GIST, coming to you for over a year thanks to the falafel ensconcement. Thanks for listening.
3: Hey, it's John Dickerson of Whistlestop, a podcast of presidential campaign curiosities. This week we're going to be curious about the Eagleton Affair, which sounds like a John Le Carré novel, but in fact was the event that torpedoed the McGovern campaign and may indeed have set liberalism back a generation. You can check us out on Slate.com/slash Whistlestop or on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app.